Hey besties, welcome to Sunshine and Rainbows podcast, a space where we chat about moments when life isn't. I'm your host, Manda, and I cannot wait to get into this important conversation started by you. That's right. Since it's our 20th episode, I decided to shake things up a little bit and ask you to ask me some questions. I'm so excited and I cannot wait to answer these. So let's get started. All right. So the way this is going to work is I actually put a question box over on my personal Instagram and the podcast Instagram and asked y'all to ask me questions. I am an open book and I gave you some prompts about whether my job in social media, my relationship with Kev, previous jobs I've held, mental health, literally the whole gambit. I seriously got some incredible questions and submissions, and unfortunately, I don't think that I can answer every single one. So I'm going to pick my favorites. Some of them are serious and some of them are kind of funny. And yeah, we're just gonna go with it. And again, thank you so much for listening. The fact that we're at 20 episodes just blows my mind. And I'm so lucky to have a community like each and every one of you. We have hit milestone after milestone with this podcast. And even over on our Instagram, we're almost to a thousand followers. So blowing my mind consistently every single day. (laughs) All right, we are gonna get started. The first question that I'm going to answer is, what made you want to become an influencer? So this one still makes me giggle because I don't even really consider myself an influencer. Honestly, I know I did an episode a couple episodes back called Accidental Influencer where I kind of go into the background of this, but it it really was on accident. Like it wasn't this plan that, ooh, I'm going to create this platform and then I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to be famous and that's the goal. It It more started with the fact that I just wanted to tell people about animals. So my previous job is I worked with marine mammals. I was a zookeeper. And when I started getting more likes on my Instagram photos, it was my animal photos because honestly, that's what set me apart from most other people on Instagram. And as we all know, a very biased documentary came out in like 2010, 2011. And I really saw a social media crisis happen. And I feel like that was the first time that the term armchair activist was really coined. And now that's turned into trolls and haters and all of that on Instagram. But just the concept of someone has nothing better to do than to just say awful things. And a lot of the awful things people were saying weren't based in fact. They hadn't done research on. It was just based on feelings. And... That is when I decided that I had the facts and I was someone that was working with these animals and I wanted to share about them and their plight and what issues they were facing and that if we didn't do something quickly, they literally were not going to be around for a long time. And yeah, that's kind of how it started. From there then, I got laid off went through a whole identity crisis because I no longer worked with those animals anymore and realized that people were sticking around because 
they actually enjoyed me as a person, which was wild to think about. And that's when I really was encouraged to start sharing my voice and talk about how getting laid off was awful, but I was going to keep moving forward. And that's kind of just been the voice of my whole brand influencer thing is that even with this podcast, life can give you obstacles and you can choose to pivot. And how are you going to step into your own purpose? Are you going to let life knock you down? Or are you going to take a moment and then come back even stronger? So yeah, that was like a really roundabout way to answer that question. But I had no idea what I was doing. Long story short, no idea. Everything I learned, I learned on YouTube and creators that were so nice to share what they had learned. I took some courses. I did lots of internet research. And that got us to where we are now, which is not very far, but we're doing it. <laughs> All right. I feel like this next one is perfect to just segue. What made you want to start a podcast? You know, I can distinctly, distinctly remember the first time that the idea of a podcast popped into my head is I was at work and it was a moment in time where the three people that I loved working with the most, we were all sitting next to each other and talking about our life goals and our plans and like in five years, where did we want to be? And I blurted out, I really want to have a podcast. And they all kind of looked at me and my one friend was like, dude, go for it. Like, what would you talk about? And I was like, I, I don't really know yet, but I want to have a podcast and I want to write a book and yeah, I just, I want to get my voice out there even more so than just Instagram. And so that was August of last year. And here we are <laughs> with the podcast now started in April, but the idea behind it was just, I guess, a natural continuation of my brand in the sense that each thing that I venture into, each new platform that I go onto, I just want it to be an extension of what I'm trying to accomplish. So letting you know that you're not alone giving you creative ways to problem solve through a situation, peeling back that veil of social media that life is not all sunshine and rainbows, and that's okay. And there's moments that are great, but there's moments that are not great. And the goal with this podcast is just to get even more grittier into that because as much as I try to be transparent and open on Instagram, there's still a curated feed there's still a certain way that brands want photography to look. It's still aesthetic. But I feel like here, you're getting even more of the realness behind Manda. And honestly, I love what it has transitioned to. So initially, when I started, it was a solo episode where I would kind of write about my own personal experiences. And then it would transition and flip-flop to a guest episode. And once I got into a couple episodes, I really realized that, like, holy moly, these guests that I'm having on have such incredible stories. And I felt as though that I had communicated my story in the couple solo episodes that I did. And it was 
it was time to start amplifying other voices. And if you want to know more about me, you can head to my Instagram. But not everyone has a platform that they can just jump onto and talk to their community. Not everyone has that ability to build that. And so because I have, I guess I want to give back to the community and help you share your voice. So yeah, even in the couple months that this podcast have been, has been live, it's cool to see how it's blossomed. Yeah, I hope that answered that question. <laughs> okay, this next question made me giggle. Mostly because I think the person was trying to be funny, but I don't think they realized how great of a question it is for me. So the question is, what is your favorite Jurassic Park dinosaur? And I giggle because growing up as a kid, I freaking loved dinosaurs. Like, oh my God, I was obsessed with them. And I distinctly remember our neighbors like babysitting us one night and I just kept going on and on about dinosaurs. And they were like, oh, well, have you seen Jurassic Park? It's about dinosaurs. Not thinking that like me as a six-year-old kid should probably not watch Jurassic Park. Uh, so needless to say, I was terrified and watched the movie between like my fingers over my eyes. But for the original Jurassic Park movies, I have to say it's the T-Rex all the way for me. I just was obsessed with T-Rex and the idea behind the power that came with her. And then when the new movies came out, I fell in love with Blue, the Velociraptor. So I will have to say that she is my favorite. Again, we love a strong, independent queen. We love an alpha of her pack. And honestly, watching the relationship form between her and Chris Pratt's character really just reminded me so much of working with certain animals that were seen as like the trouble or stubborn animals that had those big, bold personalities. And as an animal trainer, I really connected with them because I am someone with a big, bold, loud personality that grew up as a kid being called trouble. <laughs> so I connect with her and she's an icon. And if Velociraptor trainer was a job, your girl would go do that job. <laughs> this next question hit me in my feels. <laughs> And I was debating on if I even wanted to answer it because it's just a sticky one. But did you feel guilty for leaving the animal world to pursue what you do now? Oof. Big oof. Uh, <laughs> that is a loaded question. Um, for someone that works with animals which we kind of talked about in the compassion fatigue episode and even the toxicity in the workplace episode. I feel as though the culture in the animal world and just the environment that we're raised in, naturally the people that want to work with animals are people that are so giving and want to do something bigger than just themselves. And when you are designed that way, 
And then you have a love for animals that are endangered species, having to be protected from poaching, are incredibly smart, but are in human care. There's that need to always want to provide care, protect them. And because of that, and because of the nature of the job, it's hard to draw a work-life balance and draw those boundaries and take care of yourself and your mental health. And I just watched mentor after mentor and senior trainers above me make those mistakes of neglecting themselves and their mental health and sacrificing relationships and family and their whole life for these animals. And I think that's incredible and power to them. But I was quickly realizing that it was not a sustainable path for me to be on. And that was gut-wrenching. And I went through months and months, almost six months of each day being like, do I want to do this? I don't want to do this. And just the guilt of having to prioritize myself and shame of knowing that other people weren't experiencing what I was and were just fine. And was it something wrong with me? Is it something I did? And, you know, just having to take into account the fact that I had accomplished my dream and then I got my dream taken away from me. So then I pivoted my dreams, but then I had a new dream and something else that I was good at and wanted to pursue. And yeah, there <laughs> so much identity crisis, so much guilt when I was making the decision. But through talking through it with my therapist, Kevin, friends, trusted individuals, I really realized that I made the right decision for me and my family and my relationship. And I really came to realize that on the path that I was on personally, Amanda wasn't going to make it to C35 because things were spiraling down really quickly, really rapidly. And... I wanted to be around longer. So I made the choice to choose me and it was a hard choice, but it's one that I don't regret now. And now that it's been eight months, obviously I miss those animals every single day. I miss inside jokes at work, trauma bonds when procedures go differently, you know, being the first to find out about news in the animal field, being able to grab a beer with someone right after work and bond over the horrible day that you had. But I still am in contact with all my friends. I still hear from them and I'm able to give an outside perspective and encourage them for when they inevitably make the same decisions that I did. Because there's very few people that stay in the field until they retire because of the nature of the job. And I take pride in the fact that my friends have come to me and I've been able to show them that 
you know, there, there is life after leaving the animal field and it's okay that you don't have to feel guilty that you're living a good life. And I just had to come to the realization that the animals will always be taken care of. And there's a new generation coming in to take over. And I just have to trust that the foundation that I laid as intern coordinator or with my animal trainer courses, that they've got the tools they need to do a great job. I mean, even a better job than what I could have done. And that's my hope is that by stepping aside and not taking up space where I shouldn't, I freed up a position for someone else to have their dream job. And that made me really happy to know that, you know, while it was my time to leave, there were new beginnings for someone else who was so inspired and so excited to be working there. And yeah, I just, I, I realized I didn't always have to take up space. <laughs> so this next question kind of goes hand in hand. This one says, would you ever go back to working with animals? You know, <laughs> yes, but I think in a different facet. So Kevin and I just got back from a trip to the Pacific Northwest and being on a tour with a naturalist and a boat captain and just the ocean and marine mammals doing their marine mammal thing, I turned to Kevin and was like, oh my God, when we retire, I wanna do this. Like I wanna sit on a boat all day and tell people about killer whales and tell people how they can save them and watch people make those connections, seeing these magnificent animals in the wild. And again, this is not anything against Sue's I loved my time in education, working for different facilities and educators are so important. And yeah, I, I don't know that I would go back to training um, just because I'm really spoiled with the lifestyle I have right now. I really love the freedom and flexibility that I have and I'm confident that I'm making a bigger impact on the field, not being in it um, because I'm able to freely talk about problems and freely challenge people to be better. And I'm not held back by representing a certain company. And I'm able to write my book and just share a lot of things that unfortunately people who work for certain companies aren't able to. And that's okay because social media is a thing. And when you work for a brand, you represent that brand. But being my own brand, I can represent my own opinions. So anyways, long story short, I don't know that I would go back to training, but would it be cool to be a killer whale watching tour guide someday when I'm like 60 year old and like retired? Yeah. Would it be amazing to volunteer at a local turtle hospital and help educate people about turtles or go count nests or things like that? Heck yeah. Uh, I don't think I'm done with animals. Will it be a job? Probably not, but I'm open to volunteering and helping out in like conservation efforts, research efforts, anything like that as much as I can. Okay, so this one is a little more lighthearted, 
What is your favorite Starbies order? <laughs> so with this one, it depends on the season. So during the summer, I really love the peach green tea lemonade. Mm, chef's kiss. During the fall months, and I say fall in air quotes because I live in Florida and fall is not actually a season here. I really enjoy the pumpkin cold foam cold brew. The pumpkin spice latte is way too much for me. I'm not a big fan of it. I also used to work at Starbucks, fun fact, when I was in college. And so certain drinks that are hard to make just really rub me the wrong way and roll my eyes. And I just pumping that pumpkin spice syrup, just like, ugh, I hated it. But my like normal drink is an iced quad espresso with almond milk and one Splenda. Until the oat milk shake and espresso came out, that brown sugar syrup is ooh, so good. So there you go. There are my drinks for each season. Oh, ooh, I'm sorry. And I really love an iced dirty chai tea latte. So that's a chai tea latte with espresso in it. Mmm, mmm, so good. Okay, this question is, what age did you begin to feel anxiety and what were the triggers? Uh, I'm honestly convinced that I was born with anxiety. <laughs> I laugh because that's literally something that my doctor and I are actually trying to figure out right now. So I'm in therapy. I also see a primary care and I'm honestly in a, like in the process of trying to find a psychiatrist as well too, because to be honest, my mental health lately has really been suffering. And I've been really open and honest about that on Instagram, but I guess I really haven't had a chance to talk about that here. And initially when I first got diagnosed with anxiety, um, it was situational, but then after getting laid off, um, that's kind of when a lot of things started piling up and I kind of masked all of that. Then when I got furloughed last year at the start of the pandemic, uh, that is when, <laughs> that is when it all came crumbling down on me and I was having daily panic attacks and I started seeing my therapist and we really realized that what I thought was just situational anxiety was just anxiety bubbling over the masks and the blocks that I had put up. But in reality, I have generalized anxiety disorder, which means that there really isn't a trigger and there are situations that I can plan for, but generally I could feel anxiety at any moment about anything, regardless of the cognitive behavioral therapy that I'm going through right now. Um, and as far as the depression, Initially, it was diagnosed with seasonal and situational depression. And then when I moved to Florida, uh, our season here is sunshine all the time. And I really realized, again, I was masking it like, oh, I'm just high functioning. Oh, I'm just sad right now. And really being laid off and being furloughed a year later was kind of when everything came crashing down for me for my mental health. And I wasn't able to mask that anymore. So I got on medication that helped for a while, but really recently things have been trending downward, which is unfortunate because I removed myself from what I thought were my triggers and I left environments that were not good for my mental health. And 
on the outside, everything is great <laughs> with, or at least it should be, you know, but I don't know. Right now I'm coming to terms with the fact that, you know, mental illness is chronic and sometimes it doesn't have situations and sometimes you're just born with a chemical imbalance. And I think that's what I've had to come to is when I thought it was situational it was easy for me to justify and explain away, but now that I'm finding out that, oh hey, I'm I'm literally just wired this way. Yeah, it's an odd space to be in. So that is still an active answer because I'm still actively working on figuring all of that out. But again, I'm so thankful for my therapist. I'm thankful for medication and thankful for Kev, who lets me tell him things about what I'm feeling because sometimes depression can be kind of scary and especially if you don't have a lot of experience with either friends or loved ones that have it sometimes the mood swings and the feelings are dark and twisty <laughs> as Meredith Gray would say okay I really like this next question how do you make sure you're both happy and feel loved in a relationship how do you make one last Oh, okay. So <laughs> personally, I had to realize that the sun does not revolve around Manda and the world does not revolve around Manda. And that was a hard pill to swallow because being an Enneagram 3 Capricorn type A oldest sibling, um... My brain is wired to think that the world literally revolves around me. And when I got into a relationship, I first just operated like, hey, it's my way or the highway. And when relationships wouldn't work out, it was like, oh, well, they're intimidated by me because I'm a strong, independent woman or, oh, I'm just such a bold personality. I just they just can't. I'm not their cup of tea. Um, <laughs> and then when I got into my mid 20s and Kevin and I got married, I really realized oh, like maybe I'm prioritizing me and not prioritizing us. And that is something when Kevin and I went through marriage counseling and some courses that we took through our church, uh, we learned about love languages, which is really great. You can do research on learning how to love someone the way that they desire and feel love. And then also we learned, we did this course that was incredible. I'm gonna plug it. Uh, it's called Love and Respect. And that taught us about how, you know, some partners are designed to desire respect and other partners are designed to require love. And when you act opposite, it gets you on this crazy cycle and it's hard to come off of. And through all of those courses and just learning how to communicate our feelings, I feel like is where Kev and I have found success. Being in a long distance relationship, we had to overly communicate. And once we got married and have lived together for this long, we just continued that communication. And there's times where we over communicate sometimes to the point where it would make some people probably uncomfortable. But that's always been our policy. And when he's upset with me, he tells me in a nice way. Or like he tries, but we don't beat around the bush. We don't play games. We don't try to manipulate each other. Like we, we say our feelings and we communicate 
and we take the other person's feelings into account. And so I would say it, it is possible for you to be happy and also be in a relationship because you should be able to prioritize your needs and your needs should be somewhat fulfilled by your partner and vice versa. So you should be able to make each other happy and make yourself happy at the same time. And if that's not working and you've tried communicating and all of that, you know, maybe maybe it's time to find a partner that does fit. I don't know. Jury's out on that one. Okay, this question is the biggest challenge about working for yourself. So with this one, I always laugh when people are like, oh my God, you run your Instagram platform, you run your brand full time, that's so amazing. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't want to work a nine to five, so I chose a 24 seven job. It's challenging y'all. Like it's one thing to work from home and have deadlines and all of that with a nine to five corporate job, but brands don't email you nine to five. Sometimes they email you really late. And if you take forever to get back to them, they move on to the next person. And it's hard when my job is social media to draw those boundaries of, okay, well, I like being on social media in my free time, but it's also my job. So am I working now or am I just like enjoying life right now? And the need to oh, I'm going on a vacation, I should create content. Do I wanna spend my entire vacation looking at photos or do I wanna be present? I wanna take photos, but I want them to be good photos. Are they good enough to put on Instagram? And again, it's this crazy cycle that starts. So I have tried to draw boundaries and I'm only working when I'm in my office. And when I leave my office, I'm not working. So I put my phone in the other room and once I'm done with work, around five o'clock when Kevin's done, I put my phone on the counter and I don't touch it the rest of the day. And that has really helped my work-life balance. And just like, yeah, drawing that boundary and keeping work to one room. Uh, yeah, it's still challenging. I'm still learning it. Mad respect to people that have been working from home forever or for the past year and a half. Um, I grew up with my dad pretty much working from home all the time. And we learned that, hey, when he's in his office and the door is closed, like, do not disturb, you know? And so the nice thing is that like Kevin and I have adopted those same practices. And when we're busy, we close the door. And when we're not, we open the door. But other than that, it is awesome getting to see Kevin a lot because with my previous jobs, I really didn't see him all that much. And now, I see that man all the time. So sometimes I make excuses to get out and go to Target to get alone time because, you know, everyone needs alone time. <laughs> okay, this question is, what's it like to lose an animal you worked with? I'm going to assume you mean lose by, unfortunately, the animal has passed instead of actually losing the animal because if you lost your animal, I have some questions for you. How do you lose a rhino or a painted dog or an elephant? Like I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, that was my effort to try and be just like a little bit lighthearted. Um, I have an idea of what this question pertains to. Um, unfortunately in the animal field, there was a huge loss uh, 
today while I'm recording this. And whew, it's heavy. It's hard when you lose an animal. I feel like in our brains, it's easy to justify if the animal was sick or older, but when an animal is young and it takes you by surprise and is so sudden, it it's hard to comprehend. And it's even harder as someone in the animal field for people who are not in the animal field to comprehend because yeah, you get bereavement and days off work when you have a loved one die. Even some companies now give you days off work when a pet who a lot of us consider family members dies and passes on. But in the animal field, tragedy like that does happen, but you don't get a day off and you have to keep working the next day and the day after that or literally minutes after it happened. And if you're lucky, you work in a job behind the scenes where you don't have to interact with the public, but sometimes you work at a show facility and you have to go out on microphone and be a smiling face when you've been crying the entire day in the back office. Or people ask questions about, oh, where's that animal? And over 50 times in one day, you have to explain that, oh, they're not here anymore. Oh, well, where'd they go? Oh, well, they moved on or, you know, whatever way that you want to say it. And some people are respectful and some people aren't. And so all of that being said, it's a touchy situation. Um, personally for me, I am lucky enough. Well, I say lucky. <laughs> to have experienced loss of animals in many different facets. Um, there were animals where it was expected and that was hard, but in my brain, I could justify that we did the best we could. And I trusted our vet staff. I trusted our staff that we delivered the best care we possibly could. There were other instances where it was a complete shock and everyone was flabbergasted and in those stressful times people like to point fingers and blame people and blame vet staff and all of that and through all of those experiences i have learned that it's so important to trust your team to trust your vet staff and to trust your management because if you don't have trust that when those things do happen, and inevitably they do happen, it's gonna be really hard to come back and be the person that asks the hard questions. Ask vet staff, why did this happen? Ask about necropsy results. For anyone not in the animal field, that's an autopsy on an animal. But ask if there were things you could have done prevented. Ask if there was training that you could have done to make certain procedures better. Because ultimately when animals pass on, that's our opportunity to learn and hopefully prevent that for other animals of their same species. And personally, I believe that's our job as animal care professionals is to learn and improve science and increase our knowledge and make each day better for the animals that we possibly can. 
So that is my long answer to that. But basically to summarize is don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. Don't be afraid to ask why. And if you're not getting the answers that you like, ask someone that will listen and don't let anyone take away your voice because ultimately you are the voice for those animals. All right. And if you have made it this far, we have come to our final question, which is what is one thing you would tell your younger self? Whew. I feel like there's so many things I could tell little old baby Mandy. Yeah, I went by Mandy back then. Um, hmm. I think I would just tell her to keep her head up and her chest out and to know her worth because while the people in her life right now don't appreciate her bold and colorful personality. Someday, the world is gonna celebrate it. Wow, thank you guys again for listening to, I hope, an amazing conversation started here on Sunshine and Rainbows podcast. Each week, I literally am blown away by the voices and stories shared here. Again, the goal is to amplify others' experiences in hopes that someone listening out there feels that much less alone. Thank you again to all of you for submitting questions for me to answer and giving me a chance to share my own story in a different way. If you would like to share your story with my audience about how you've overcome something in your life or maybe you want to start an important conversation that needs to be heard, please send us an email at sunshinerainbowspod at gmail.com. You guys are incredible. I'm so lucky to be surrounded by an amazing community. Wow. Thanks for 20 episodes. I'm going to go celebrate now. I hope you guys have a great week and I will see you next Monday.